When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to the Dad Ventures podcast, sponsored by Tonka, because being tough is all about getting out and playing. My name's Nigel Clark and I'm founder of Dad Ventures and host of this wonderful parenting podcast, where we explore different aspects of parenting and hone in on the dad point of view. But it's not just about the dads. Mums, grandparents, carers, soon-to-be parents, we want you involved in the conversation too. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, please, please, please subscribe. It's so important because we can only continue to have important conversations like this if we can prove you're out there listening and subscribing is the best way to let us know. So let's talk, let's laugh, let's share the things we find difficult and become the type of dads we really want to be. Today's guest is a father of four, a grandfather of four, a fitness enthusiast, and uh, an equal rights activist. Uh, He was catapulted into the spotlight in 2020 after an image of him carrying an anti-Black Lives Matter protester went viral. Since then, he's appeared on numerous radio shows and podcasts, and he's here today to talk about his fatherhood experiences. Please welcome Patrick Hutchinson. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. I know you're a busy man, so taking the time out and coming here to talk some parenting and talk dad life. We appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for that introduction. You know, uh, even I had was a bit gassed after hearing that. So, dude, father of four, you, you, you've, you've been around the block when it comes to parenting. You've seen the ups, you've seen the downs. Tell us the range of ages of your kids. So, uh, yeah, I have four children um, and we start at 31 and we go all the way down to 10. So there's a 31-year-old, there's a 26-year-old, there is a 12-year-old, and there's a 10-year-old. And I have one boy and three girls. And my oldest, my very first uh, child, my son, uh, yeah, that's a 31-year-old. Wow. So, like, most people are probably sitting there thinking, Patrick, you don't look old enough to have a 31-year-old. How old were you when you had your first child? So... Um, we were expecting him when I was 19 and he was born when I was exactly 20. We're like exactly uh, 20 uh, years apart. Do you know what? I've got a similar story my end because uh, I was born 78 and my son was born 2008. So we have exactly 30 years. So he, we always know. Right. Same thing, same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so being, being that young, because as... In terms of fatherhood and parenthood, that is, that is quite an early age to be introduced to it. Were you ready 
Was it difficult? What was the transition like? Because yeah, it must have been difficult. Listen, it was a, it was extremely difficult. Um, it was a, an absolute shock to the system. I wasn't ready, but there was one thing I was certain of, and that was that I was going to be there for my son because I hadn't, I never had a father growing up, and so you know, it didn't matter how hard it was going to be, I wasn't going to abandon him, and I was going to be there, and you know, I, I stuck to my guns on, on, in that respect. But um, when when I compare the father I was back then to the father that I am now, you know, I do feel a bit sorry for my son because obviously we all, we're all <laughs> growing and learning as we do it. So the first child is always the most unlucky exactly, one. Yeah. So I've I've evolved along the way, um, and I'm a much better father than I you know than I was um, all those those many years ago. But um, but yeah, I, I still feel like I I did, you know, do him fairly proud. Yeah, I did I did him fairly proud. The yeah, best you could. I feel like I have. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into all of that and how you've changed as a father over the years. But you just mentioned something that I want to touch on because I think it's it's important to pay attention to it in this day and age. So you experienced growing up without a father. Uh, yes, yes, I did. Yeah. So was that from from day dot or was that from? Yeah, yeah, a that was from the, from the very beginning. Um, it was just my mum and um, my sister, who's three years younger than me on my mother's side. Um, I have other siblings on my father's mm. side. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, I never had a father. Uh, it was quite evident to me in the early years as well because, you know, I had friends that did. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, for a young boy, it was a lonely, lonely, lonely place, man. I was going to say, did you did you feel it? in uh, Because yeah. you're quite a sporty person. Was it, oh, daddy isn't um, there to see me do my taekwondo at age 13, 14. He's not there to see me play football or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, exactly that. That encouragement wasn't there. Um, you know, no disrespect to my mum and I love her dearly and she was the perfect mother. But one thing she wasn't too fussed about was sports. <laughs> and um, where I I felt like I, um, you know, had a quite a bit of sporting prowess in my early years. And I, who knows what I could have been. My mum just wasn't supportive in that area. And most of the time she was too busy working and, and tired anyway. So um, I managed to, you know, do taekwondo and a bit of football, but I never managed to put take anything to a particular level because my mother either had me looking after my sister or just wasn't interested or couldn't afford it, you know. So a father would have really, I think, definitely helped me in that area. Did you have any father figures around at the time? Were there uncles around? Was was there stepdads? Anything that you could look up to at that point as as a as a male figure? Yeah, I had um an uncle that came down who was ten years older than my senior, who came down I'm originally from Coventry, well that's where I was born anyway, uh, raised in London. Um so my uncle came down from Coventry to stay with us for a period of time. Um, my mum thought it was a good idea to have, for me to have like a, a bit of a an older male around and that really worked well for me um, but obviously for my mum and my uncle it didn't because he was a young man and he was probably getting up to a little bit of no good I think and my mum didn't want a sort of a, a negative influence around me so as much as as much as I looked up to my uncle and loved him to bits and loved hanging around him and his and his friends I did felt feel you know quite safe and secure around them having, you know, older boys that look like me and stuff. Um, my mum wasn't too happy, you know, with, with him. Um, and so he had to eventually, you know, move on. So I did miss him when he went. Um, I've only ever known my mum to have one partner and, and his name was Oliver. He passed away actually at the back end of last year. Um, and um, 
he he was a really really good man really really i liked him a lot we got on really well um but he always maintained a, a respectful distance so he, he didn't get too close and i can kind of understand why i guess when you're not a biological father to children you don't want to overstep the mark i guess so he was there to support but he was never like you know fully in 100 percent yeah it is you mentioned it and it is a difficult place to be when you don't want to tread on someone's toes as a parent. He probably didn't want to overstep the mark with your mum and how she parents. He didn't want to... Sometimes it can feel a little bit awkward when you're in that situation. And and you kind of felt that from him a little bit? Yeah, 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 I did. I felt like um, he was always, like I said, maintaining that, that distance, but was there to support when when need be. He was, he was very well educated and he would... You know, when I was learning about history and stuff, I was quite... I was into... Um, uh, the likes of or the dictators, you know, the um, Idi Amin's, the Pol Pots, the Hitler's, the Stalin's. I, I was quite interested in why people were like the way those guys were because I was polar opposite to those guys and I was intrigued as to why they were the way they were. And he had a lot of, uh, you know, he, he knew a lot about that stuff. You know, Karl Marx, he taught me about all these, uh, the, the you know, communism. He taught, taught me, a, 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 you know, a plethora of things when it came to history. And so we had to have these conversations all the time. So he, he definitely helped me on an academic uh, level, you know. So you, you're hearing about Hitler and and the way he's going about things. You're hearing about Idi Amin. And, and now you're growing up as a black man in a country that you're a minority in. One, did you notice and did you experience racism? Two, how, what did you think of it at the time? What was, what was your sort of stance and, and place on it? So I, I experienced racism at a very early age. Um, my first encounter of racism was probably around the age of nine, I think, um, playing out on my council estate. I lived on a council estate um, where I, um, you know, I was a minority. Um, I think there was a couple of Asian families and another one other black family, and the rest of the uh, the estate um, were, were mainly uh, like Caucasians and. Um, I noticed from an early age, like my own friends would, would, even if they weren't talking to me directly, they would regularly use the N word in jest, or they would use the P word, you know, referring to Asian people. If they were going to go to the shops, they would say, I'm going down to the P word. They would, you know, they would just, it was just part a way of life for them. And um, it, I, I got used to hearing these, these, these words. And then as I got older, I realized this stuff wasn't right. And I, it always made me feel uncomfortable. Um, and then sometimes in arguments, because, you know, you when you're young, you fall out with your friends from time to time. And then the next day, your friends again, etc. In any arguments or disagreements could be over footy, whatever, you know, they would use racial slurs against me as well. My own friends. And, um, you know, I'd have to like sort of take it on the chin and uh, the next few days carry on playing because I never had anyone else to play with and hang out with. And the thing is, if I ever went home and told my mum, she wouldn't let me play out. So, um yeah, I had to just suck it up, I guess. When you're, when you're black and you are a father in a country that's not your own, bringing up your kids, you think about it a little bit and you think about which way you're going to go. You think about whether you're going to um, empower your children and say, look, this is out there, but you, you're, you're better than that. You can stand up against racism or you're going to be a bit more protective and be like, wait, this is going on out there. You need to protect yourself. You need to. Protect. And there's a there's a fine balance, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, because you yeah. don't want your kids to be scared um, of like going out. But you don't want your kids to be 
unaware that there's there's harsh racism out there. How have you navigated that? That actually is probably one of the most difficult things about uh, being um, a parent um, as an ethnic minority person. That is probably one of the most hardest things to decipher. Um, I, you know, you don't want your children to be blindsided by anything if you can help it. Um, at the same time, you don't want to start talking about things that they haven't even experienced um, and bring them to the forefront because, you know, why should you? If they're, they're, they're going along happily in their lives and then all of a sudden you start talking about all this negative stuff, it, you don't know what kind of impact it might have on them. So it has been difficult trying to navigate that. So like with my, um, my two younger children, um, I never, to be honest, I never had those conversations with my older children. Um, just when things, ha you know, happen, they just sort of happen and we took it from there. But with my younger two, my youngest, she's 10. I don't really talk about racism with her. We haven't really spoken about it with her. She's in that, that world where she's just skipping along happily and not really noticing anything. My 12 year old, you know, she is, um, definitely experienced racism and we've had the discussions and the interesting thing about my two daughters is that the one 12 year old, she looks exactly like me same complexion, everything. Whereas my um, 10 year old daughter, she's a lot fairer, a lot more lighter skinned. Um, so I don't know if that's, that has anything to do with the fact that one has experienced it already and one hasn't. But sometimes you do hear, you know, things along those lines. But in terms of my, my 12 year old, she was quite um, philosophical about it and she, she wasn't surprised about it. Um, and I think with a lot of the stuff that's happened with me um, and my book and I think it's sort of giving her a heads up because obviously when this when this whole thing happened, she was 10 years old. Um, and I think, and I was having the discussions around race. So she was party to all of it. And so I think that kind of helped in many ways her to understand what's going on. And then when she, you know, said that she's experienced various things, it, it all sort of uh, came as a natural topic of conversation. So how old, was it 10 you said that you started to have conversations with her? We, yeah, she well, she because of what happened with me um, in the media spotlight, and obviously everything was centered around equality and racism. It sort of uh, it was a way of the subject just being broached for us. And obviously, I talk about it a lot in my book, and so it all came out sort of naturally, you know. So, um, so yeah, that's how it came about. We hadn't deliberately brought the subject up, but it all came out sort of uh, naturally and authentically because of what had happened to me. You've brought it up, let's get into it. Two years ago, photo of you carrying an anti-Black Lives Matter protester during a protest away from harm, went viral, and your life must have changed overnight, right? Yeah, literally, it, uh, it was <laughs> turned on its head, man. I, uh, you know, I didn't expect uh, what was to come, honestly. Um, but yeah, that moment literally uh, changed my life and uh, yeah, let's hope has changed it for the better. <laughs> a question from me personally, for you being in that situation and because there must have been so much going on, was there any confusion from either camp as to what you were doing? I.e., was there anyone in the anti-Black Lives Matter camp who thought maybe you were attacking him and not saving him and vice versa from the Black Lives Matter camp? So the way that it actually unfolded, so I'll give you a little bit of background to it. So. There were some uh, skirmishes, some fighting going on between the, you know, the uh, Black Lives Matter protesters and the EDL far right supporters. But what happens is they, they ran off and left one guy. I think they were outnumbered and they just ran off. 
So this guy was on his own. So there was, there was no one from the other side there to support him, to help him. So he was basically uh, by himself with a sea of Black Lives Matter demonstrators. And um, there was this Rastafarian guy that was trying to help him. There was a staircase which leads up to the embankment. And the, I think the Rastafarian guy, I think his aim was to try and carry him down the stairs or help him down the stairs, shall I say, and walk him over to the police. But um, as he got to the top of the stairs and started walking down the stairs with him, more and more people realised what was happening. Oh, this is one of the EDL guys. And people started to attack him. And the, the Rastafarian guy, you know, couldn't do much about it. So before you know it, you can't see where this guy is. And, and there's just a sea of people on the stairs. And so we saw this from a distance and we rushed over there and started like sifting through people, pulling them out of the way to find where this guy was. So you had to like sift through people to get to him. So he was already probably, it was going yeah, yeah, south. Yeah. It was you going down. You couldn't, in you a couldn't see quickly. where he was. Um, he was already under a sea of people. And, you know, you're thinking he's getting trampled, kicked to death, whatever. You just don't know what's happening. So it was just rushing over to get people out of the way, pulling them out of the way by the collars of their necks, diving in there. And then um, sort of we see him lying in the fetal position um, on about the third or fourth step down from the bottom. And there's some, some blood pouring from yeah. his head. And then, um, yeah, it was just quick thinking, OK, I just decided to scoop him up onto my shoulder and then walk him over to the, um, to the police. Wow. Have you ever had any army training, any any military training, anything no, like that? No, no, no. Just, just um, I like to do lots of functional workouts now that I'm older. So lots of squats, lots of walking lunges, lots of deadlifts. So that stuff, yeah. I guess, really helped. <laughs> I think it, I think it really helped because I don't know many men that could scoop up a man and like carry him to safety and have a sea of people yeah, around him yeah, as well. Yeah. So it's an amazing thing that you did. What's happened since then? Obviously, you've written a book. Had you always wanted to write a book? I think, uh, I, I, I speak for myself, but I do know a lot of people amongst my friendship groups where we've always said the, the two things on the bucket list would be like being in a movie or writing a book. Those two things seem to resonate with a lot of people and I was no different. I always wanted to write a book and I always wanted to be in a, a movie, an action movie in particular, throwing some <laughs> kicks and some punches and stuff. <laughs> Still time for that, Patrick. Still time for that. I'm sure we can make that work. And so, uh, so yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, I, I you know, I always thought I could, uh, you know, pen up a good book. Yeah. And that incident that day, I've seen you talk about it, but maybe other people haven't. And I want, I want you to, to explain it in your own words. There was no thought that went into that, was there? There was, it was pure instinct for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it was instinctive what I did at the time. Um, there, there, there was a, a little bit of like um, quick thinking as to, you know, can I do it? Where would I take him <laughs> type of thing? I didn't just want to pick him up and stand there with him on my shoulders. But it was a quick look to the left to see where the police were, look where he was. Am I capable of picking him up? I think I can. Can I get him over there safely? I think I can. And then it was... Uh, you're doing it, you know, and I think somewhere along the lines, amongst all of the mayhem and all the confusion and that thinking, I realised, you know, one, I didn't want to stand by and watch what was about to happen, happen and, and possibly have regrets later on, knowing I could have done something about it. And, and, and two, then, you know, the thing of um, the, B, the Black Lives Matter, you know, not so much, uh, you know, I don't know anything about the organisation, but the movement in itself it was important that that wasn't derailed by something as negative of maybe someone losing their lives or being seriously, seriously injured. And then obviously what would happen off the back of that would be, you know, probably three or four or five young men, more than likely black young men, 
you know, being convicted because of what had been, what had happened. And so there was all these things. And so the right, I knew the right thing to do was to just uh, scoop him up and, and carry him out there safely. I've got a question for you, Patrick. You did an amazing thing. We all know. Has that person ever reached out to you, said sorry, had any contact with you, said thank you, anything? To be honest, no, I've, I've never heard from the man. Um, at the time it happened, he was a little bit too um, concussed or intoxicated to, to, for us to exchange any, any words. So I sat him down, the paramedics took care of him and I sort of went on my merry way. But I've, I've heard nothing from him um, since then. But something tells me, I don't know, something in the stars tells me that our paths will cross one day. I don't know what it is, but something tells me at some point we'll, 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 we'll meet. So, uh, you know, I've got no ill feeling towards it. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and I like that the fact that you have that hope. Because I think if, and I'm going to go with you, and when he does contact you, he'll be a different person. Let's hope so, I think, yeah. I'm hoping. I'm hoping he's going to be a different person who wants to have an important conversation that needs to be had by many people all over the world. But yeah, I like it, dude. I like it. I like the hope that you've got for that. You said your life changed. As a family man, as a parent, how did it change? You see, we've already touched upon you. You had to have conversations with your daughter. But it wasn't just your life that changed. Their lives changed as well. You know, you've got kids who are at school who are going to be approached by, you know, their peers, by teachers, whoever. What, what was it like for everyone, including yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been huge. I mean, the first thing was um, there was also an image of my, one of my daughters, the 12-year-old daughter. Um, her name is Sedana. So basically, she was at her friend's house when the news broke and they were watching it on television. So there's a picture of me uh, on the news talking to reporters. And then there's, there's this video of my daughter and her friends watching it in, in completely in surprise. And my daughter and her friends going berserk, shouting and screaming and like getting really excited because I'm on TV. And um, that went viral as well. And so that sort of shows you the euphoria and how happy my two young children were when it all happened. But since then, <laughs> daddy's not available to do all the things daddy's normally <laughs> uh, you know, doing all the time. So um, I'm, I'm still, you know, doing school runs in the morning only one way now. I, I don't really have time to, to pick her up, but I do take her to school in the morning yeah. and I do try and take her to the odd swimming or dance lesson. But a lot of the time I don't do it as much as I used to now. And so they're not as happy now of my new fame <laughs> as they were in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, it's difficult. It is. It's difficult to, ba to balance everything. But it's great hearing that you're still doing the school run and, and stuff like yeah. that because part of the ethos of Dadvengers is supporting dads and encouraging dads to be hands-on and be there and get involved and get stuck in because the previous generations of dads maybe didn't do it as much just because yeah, of the way yeah. life was, you know, the, the, you know working. working yeah. and, but now we're in a different period and in a different time where family's a bit more about everyone mucking in and doing it together and being there yeah. for everyone. Hearing that you are involved in that way is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want to touch upon the negative side of it. You, you brought up that your daughter um, experienced some racism after, after the, the iconic event. What about 
you yourself we all know that you've experienced the, the good side of it but one side that maybe people haven't heard about as much is have you experienced a, a, a bad side as well like people from the EDL getting in touch or you know trolling you online or anything like that I'd say a very very small minority of, of negativity online but I I block things straight away I don't respond I don't get myself mixed up or, or involved in any of that stuff and I'm very much a you know a, a glass a half full person so you know, if I've got 100 messages and, and I've got one negative message, I'm not going to focus on that one negative message. I'll focus on the 99 positive messages. And that's how I always try to be. And so, yeah, like there has been a little bit of negativity, but I don't I don't focus on it. You know, I, I absolutely don't focus on it. I don't give it my time or my energy. You know, maybe if I had there was a lot more of it, maybe I would. But because it's such a small amount, I don't really worry about it. We live in a time now where our kids are getting into the social media that we didn't have that as kids because you've ex you've seen something go viral you've seen the the ugly the good side of social media do you worry about your kids and social media going yeah I, I do to be honest and um since lockdown since the you know obviously since what happened with me it happened during lockdown so this last couple of years as well on top of everything else has happened we've the, ch the children weren't attending school um I think it's affected my 10 year old, um, she's 10 now, she would have been eight, um, even more so because what's happened is, is that they spent a lot more time on, on their iPads, you know, on, 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 on TikTok and social media. Um, and um, yeah. she, I don't know, it's almost like she's just had brain, brain, a brazen, brains frozen. She's just gone backwards in everything, you know, and um, her reports, right. are, you know, are sort of reflecting that at the moment you know, both of them, to be honest, but my youngest one even more so. And it just goes to show, I mean, I bought them the iPads, I think the Christmas of 2020. And yeah. it's the worst thing I ever did. <laughs> it's the worst thing. I, it's, the, it's the worst money I ever spent. I mean, it cost me probably, a, you know, about 800 quid for each iPad, like with the keyboards and everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I really regret doing that. You know, my, my youngest, she's just obsessed and addicted to it. And, you know, you have to give them time on it. And, you know, she doesn't get yeah, she's yeah. Not happy when she's restricted from using it. So, this yeah. is a big one. This is a big one. We've talked about this on Dad Ventures. We've I've talked about it in, in various parenting panels and stuff like that. Yeah. When they game, when they use iPads, lots and lots and lots, yeah. you find that taking it away from them, suddenly they get really angsty. They get really like angry and just a little bit, the behavior is off. But when, when the hours are down, when the hours are way down, their behaviour becomes yeah. much yeah. better. Yeah. And, and, and obviously during lockdown, it was difficult because normally we'd have them doing dance, doing swimming, doing martial arts. And so there's very little time for the iPad. Like they probably get a couple of hours on the iPad, but most of the time they're out doing things, physical things. But during lockdown, they couldn't do any of that stuff. So it was like they were getting some, some mad uh, iPad time in. <laughs> it was like, and it was difficult because, you know, mum's working at home, you know, I'm working from home or out and um, it's like... So it feels it feels very comfortable. It yes. feels very like, oh, well, I, of course I can get on my iPad because yeah. I'm at home when you would normally yeah. be out at dance or yeah. whatever. So what, what do you do to manage it now? Because I know with me, with my kids, I'm an Apple person as well. So we got, we got iPads and, and uh, iPhones, but we have a family like account. So they've got their Apple IDs and I can... I can um, shut down their devices like between certain hours of the day and I and I can pick 
um, amounts of time they can do on an app. So say TikTok, I can schedule it so that they can only ever use 45 minutes of TikTok in a day or whatever. So if it hits the, the limit, it will shut down and they have to come and, and ask, can I have more time on that? Can I have... That's the way I manage it. I'm just wondering if you have a system for managing it or anything. I've recently started that. Um, not so much with the, the, the 12 year old because she is so busy with her, her, her clubs and stuff that um, she gets home and, and she'll get off at the right time. It's just a young one that needs managing. And even now with her, she's, you know, she also does, she does Taekwondo, um, she swims and she goes to netball. So, so now that, you know, things are opened up again, they're quite busy. So they don't have that sort of time at home anyway. So it's not so bad. It's just getting her timing down a bit. Um, the weekend comes in and she just wants to be on full throttle with it for the, for the two days. Uh, so it's just trying to slowly, slowly reduce her weekend usage. But the week, you know, the midweek usage has definitely been, uh, you know, brought back to something that's a lot more, uh, you know, manageable. We are so happy to have Tonka as our sponsor this series. Basic Fun's Tonka collection is packed full of fun vehicles for kids who want to get out and get tough with their toys. So dads, you've got no excuse. Grab that Mighty Steel Classic truck. It's time to head to the sandpit for some tough play. You mentioned earlier on that your parenting has changed from your son who's 31 to um, your kids now who are 10 yeah. and 12. Yeah, Did you yeah, say 12? Yeah. So how would you say it's changed? What, what do you think are the biggest changes or biggest things that you've learned as a parent between when you started and where you are now? I would definitely say with my son's concerned versus my, my daughters and my son. So, you know, I don't know, I am a little bit ashamed to say, but maybe not so much to say, but from my background being from the Caribbean, my mum used to scold me a lot. And so I used to scold my son when he was naughty. Yeah. Um, you know, so that would, you know, class what we would say over in the UK as a clip around the year from time to time when he was, when he misbehaved. Yeah. Um, um, I was the same. My parents, yeah. my parents were yeah. the same to and me. And so, um, so that's probably one of the biggest changes. Whereas one with my girls, uh, I just find it really uncomfortable. I, I just find it difficult to, 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 to hit my, my daughters anyway, because they're girls. Um, and I don't know if that's a sexist thing, you know, I shouldn't hit my son either, I guess, but it's just how it is. And also the current climate, you, you, you know, you, people don't, you, you do not hit your children. You know, there are other ways to get through to them. Times, times have, have changed, changed, you know, so. Yeah, times yes. have changed. This is, this, is, this is a big thing. And I really thank you for being yeah. honest and saying the way it is, because I came from a household where I got yeah. smacked. You know, I got clipped around the ear. Um, and I know lots of my friends yeah. did as well. Yeah. Now, then becoming parents ourselves, normally you're gonna without without even realizing it slip into the way you were parented yeah. it's just what you've learned what you've seen it's easy it's easy to go down that route so going down a new route when we're in a new age of of new ways of doing things and learning new things to be able to go down that route is yeah. difficult because you have to put in the time you have to put in the work you have to see what other parents are doing you have to think wait well, how, well how do i deal yeah. with this then this, you know, my, my kid's talking back to me. Back in the day, it was like, clip around the ear, don't talk back to me, done. Yeah. Now, you've got to reason that out with, with words and logic and explanations. And it's a whole, it's, it's a more time-intensive process in a time when everyone doesn't have time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I'm, I thank you for being honest about the way you've, 
you, you, you've changed. Yeah, I think especially when you have smart children, if you have children who are quite, uh, quite, <laughs> quite smart, they can put you in places in a discussion that you don't want to be in, like things that you would never, ever think about having with your, with your mum or your father if you've got, had one. You know, it's just like one of those things where when we were growing up, it was, um, you know, you do as you're told <laughs> and that's it. There's no discussion, you know. Uh, but now children will come forth with some 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 arguments and points that are actually valid, uh, and it's somehow sometimes having to try and somehow shut those those discussions down before um, they tie you up in in, in knots. Like it's like <laughs> yeah, but why? But why? Like <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's it's difficult. Yeah, it's it's difficult. But um, definitely the the scolding thing. You know, like I, like I say, I never had that issue with my with my uh, daughters because I'd never you know, embarked yeah. on hitting them anyway, but my son, and I guess it's a man thing, isn't it? Like yeah. his growing up when I grew up, you know, to make sure that he was disciplined and, and, and stayed on the right tracks, you know, I'll discipline him. So yeah. Um, you know, my mom had to be the, 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 the mom and dad for me and she disciplined me and, uh, it didn't do me any harm, but you know, everybody's different. And so you have to, and you have Everyone to move with the times different. and, uh, and yeah, I definitely think it, you know, Hitting children is not the done thing, but back when I was growing up, it was. Yeah. It was <laughs> totally. And I, I, I would think that if we went out to the West Indies or went to Africa, yeah. there'd still be some parents who who in believe in, in that. Children, yeah, yeah. Some people would say that that's why we've, we've lost control of some of the behaviour of some of the children over. You know, just definitely in Europe over here because uh, we don't discipline them, and that's another argument for another day, I guess. You know. To touch upon that quickly, yeah. do you think children today are a little bit more, let me think of a word here, <laughs> than we I, were? Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, 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 definitely, 100%. I mean, I, I'm constantly saying to my, my, my daughters, if I said that to my mum when I was growing up, I probably wouldn't be here now. <laughs> and how, the amount of times I say that, I probably say that like three times a day. That's, that's how bad it is with these, with these young, they don't realise certain things that they say that's rude, you know, they don't seem to, because yeah. it's, it's just a done thing or the way that they say it, the way that they speak, but they don't seem to understand manners sometimes, you know, the much, how much you try to speak to them. Like if I call my daughters, yeah. I don't know if you do this, but when I call my daughters, they can't just answer. They have to say, yes, daddy. If I don't hear the yes, daddy, I'll call them again and again and again <laughs> and again until I hear yes, daddy. And then I'll tell them what I want. <laughs> you work with young people yes, as well, yes, right? Yes, I do, yeah. So, and, and you see, not just with your own kids then, you've seen it with, with other kids and, and the, the way they are. Yeah, 100%, 100%. You know, I mean, I, I, um, yeah. I do a lot of coaching, um, athletics coaching with, with some of the, a lot of the underprivileged children. Some of them do get into lots of trouble in, in, in school, but I don't have those yeah. troubles with them when I'm coaching because they respect me. Um, I can talk to them on their level. I, I know some of the slang. How did you know or build the knowledge to be able to talk to young people and for it to resonate with them and them to respect you enough because that's what it's all about end of the day they respect you enough to listen to you how did you learn that it's come natural to me but I think I probably get it from the fact that I've been a parent for so long so I've been a parent and I've spanned generations so I've obviously my like I say my son is in his 30s my daughter's in her 20s and I know a lot about those age groups um and then obviously then i coach children in their late teens in their early teens and even younger you know i'm up to 
date with a lot of like the music, for example, that they listen to. And so I understand some of the slang. I use some of the slang when I'm, you know, talking to them, when I'm having discussions with them. And it breaks down the, the barriers a little bit. They, they seem to open up to you more when they, they kind of think that you're a little bit hip or you kind of get it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So your pa- the fact that you've been through it with parenting, you've used those things that you've learned, you've used the things that kids engage with and will resonate yeah. with to be able that's to what i think i've done that. i mean i couldn't i mean when i look at it that's what i think i've done yeah i've used my parenting skills because i haven't been taught how to you know speak to children well i mean i have been i've gone to various safeguarding things and yeah, stuff but, but 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 i think um the stuff that i do is uh authentic to me and to people that i work with we, we've all got a natural way with children and they just respect us because of who we are and, and how we how we speak to the children you know There's a new section to the Dad Vengers podcast that we're introducing where we let the public tell us like some of the questions that they might like answered. And I've got two here, two great questions from people. First up, this one is from Female First, who uh, trains in martial arts as well, I think. Uh, and they've said, how has martial arts helped you become a better father? Mm, that's a really good question. I think martial arts what it's done for me in life not just as a father but i I will say in life is um there's a few things sort of humility patience um patience is a really big thing i was gonna say that as a parent yeah you need patience and you need patience you know especially when you're trying to learn a new skill and stuff and um, like i said humility and just the um the self-confidence it gives you and uh the like the need it keeps you calm under pressure um martial arts it teaches right. you to sort of yeah stay calm under sort of really pressurized situations which i think it, what helped me on on that day you know and um yeah and and that really sort of move go moves over into um into parenting for me because especially when my children have me in a place sometimes the the, the children have their mums in a place where um <laughs> they shout 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 where it's a bit frantic and screaming at them because they've been exactly because they've been to the shops to get this yeah, they're washing yeah, the yeah. clothes they're they're doing this they're organizing the school trip what, yeah whatever there's just a lot, a lot going, going on. on and for me and and i'm just a lot more calmer and serene about things um and, and i and i and i put that down to martial arts you know um and i've, I've been i've been into martial arts a long time especially when i was a, a youngster i used to watch kung fu movies and and I was obsessed with Buddhist monks in particular and Shaolin and Shaolin monks mm. and Shaolin Kung Fu. And I think, you know, I could have possibly been a Shaolin monk um, or a Buddhist monk because I do sort of uh, follow a lot of their tenets and, and it it, yeah, it really resonates with me. Um, if, um, you know, I, I am not against religion. I do believe in a supreme being and a higher power, but I'm not, you know, a religious person per se. But the re- religion that really resonates with me would probably be Buddhism. <laughs> You know, if I had to select yeah. one, you know, and um, yeah, yeah, definitely, and yeah. So that's why I think it, it it really does carry over into the way that I I raise and talk to my children, you know, and 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 and, and yeah. it helps keeps me calm. Okay, and our, our second question from uh, one of our Dad Vengers community is from Bath and Wiltshire parent. I think it's a great great question. The iconic photo of you. What message? Does this photo pass on to your grandchildren? Uh, that's a good question as well. I um, 
think it passes on again. Um, it's, you know, how to be, uh, show humility, uh, you know, under provocation. Um, that's what I think it, it, it teaches them. And also I think it, the thing that jumps out to everybody about that picture more than anything else is that I'm black and the man on my shoulders white. I think that is a thing that really, you know, pushed it out. If you think about it, had it been me carrying a black guy or a white guy carrying a white guy, I don't think it would have had the same kind of um, uh, impact as it did. The fact that, you know, I was black, he was white and, you know, he was there against, you know, the Black Lives Matter demonstration and I was there for it. Um, I feel like uh, that is what created the impact it did. Um, so, yeah, it's just that I think that's what it, you know, it, it shows that um, to show humility under the face of provocation where you can and and unity, you know, everybody together, you know, nobody um, deserves to be, uh, you know, put on a higher pedestal than anybody else. We're all in it together. I think that's what it, it the, the kind of... Um, the image it shows. Yeah, definitely. Tell us a bit about the things you're doing. Uh, that I want to be able to uh, promote the things that you're doing because you're doing some really, really good things and our time is running out and I don't want to miss the, the time to be able to highlight some of the things that you're doing. Now, you started uh, a CIC, a community interest company, yes, right? Yes, I have, yeah. The community interest company is called um, United to Change and Inspire. And um, we've got four pillars, education, mental health and well-being, community reform and the, the injustice system, we call it, like criminal yeah. injustice system and um, uh, youth development. Have I mentioned that? Youth development? No, you yeah, didn't. Youth development. Yeah, that's, that's... And they're all sort of intertwined um, within each other. And education is sort of my area uh, within the CIC. So as well as me going into schools, I've gone into schools and colleges um, and, and sp spoken to children about the day and, and why it's important that I did what I did and, and you know, what we need to do as, as a community to come together to stamp out, you know, discrimination of all forms and racism, etc. We've also setting up or in the process of setting up a, 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 an alternative provision. And this is for those children who are unfortunately um, excluded from mainstream uh, state schools but they're normally are thrusted into pupil referral units. And, um, you know, there are some harrowing stats that say that once children hit pupil referral units, there's only one place they end up after that. Um, I think some 70% of inmates have confessed to have come from a pupil referral unit um, in their time before they became, you know, full-time prison inmates. So we're trying to stem that flow and we're trying to give those children that are excluded from mainstream school an alternative education, more like a tailor-made uh, almost like private education that is for them to find out their wants and needs, try to help them avoid the pitfalls that they've already found themselves in and hopefully get them back into mainstream school. So that's where a lot of the funding that we're asking for will go to, the alternative provision. That's amazing, dude. Really, really amazing. And it makes me want to ask you this question. Do you think growing up that you could have gone either way? Could could you have been one of the one of the the, the boys that you you helped? Yeah, hundred percent. The only thing that stopped me, I mean, I didn't listen. I wasn't a, a, a saint. I got into quite a bit of trouble when I was growing up, especially when I sort of hit my teenage years and and you know started hanging out with. I didn't want to say the wrong crowd because I was part of that crowd. Just started hanging out with with other people. The thing that stopped me was the love for my mum. Seeing how upset she was on a couple of occasions when she did have to take you know collect me from the police station to see how disappointed 
uh, she was. And, and for me to know how often she worked three jobs on her own, raised my sister and I by herself, often leaving us at home sleeping when she was at work, you know, coming back, taking us to school in the morning, then going to work again. And then in the evenings, leaving us with our neighbour, then going to work again. To see the disappointment on her face, that used to break me. And that stopped me from, you know, becoming a full time criminal. You know, I, I, you know, I just thought, no, I'm not, I can't, I can't do that to my mother. You know, she's, she's sacrificed too much for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I'm currently listening to uh, Will Smith. Me too. Me too. <laughs> are you, yeah, are yeah, you listening yeah, to it as well, too. right? So, <laughs> so I'm listening to it, right? I'm listening to it, and uh, I don't know how far you're in, but he talks about Mama Gigi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, 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 he's his nan, his nana. Yeah, yeah. He, his nan, and and she gave him a look that sculpted his life, and and. You you talking about your mum and the disappointment there? It, it rings the yeah, same yes, truth yes, to yes. me uh, of that that like sculpts a person's like trajectory for their whole life. Like one person, one per- a disappointment from one specific person can literally sculpt yeah, definitely. Whole life. Had it not been for that, I I could have definitely because uh, I have lots of friends that I knew growing up who are still inside now. Many of them have died, you know. So I could have just been one of those statistics yeah, yeah. easily. Thankfully, you're not. You're here. You're you're inspiring other people, and yeah, we're so thankful for that. There's one question that we ask all of the people that come on the podcast, and it is this: If you could have one dad superpower, what would it be, and why? I think my dad superpower would be so i constantly worry about my children all of them even the older ones too constantly worry about them and i know this this probably would be a bit dodgy because i might end up watching them doing <laughs> doing things that they shouldn't <laughs> that, that i should that i wouldn't want to but i'd be able to maybe switch it off straight away but i i would love to be able to see what my children are doing at any given time so to know that they're okay and they're safe because i'm constantly like so like my daughter is okay. going to be coming home from school um, in the next hour or an hour and a half and I won't be there when she's travelling on public transport and everything and I'd love to be able to just look in on her okay she's cool and that's it you know <laughs> okay so almost almost like and, and I've, I've thought of a way to make it because I know I know you don't want to be boy yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so maybe maybe like a spidey sense that lets you know like if your kids yeah, are in need. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, I love it. I really, really love that superpower. Season three here and that's another new one for us. So <laughs> thank you very much for that. Listen, Patrick, thanks for your time. Thanks for speaking so eloquently. You're really someone who's done something amazing and continues to do amazing things. And we thank you. You are now officially a dad venger. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Nigel. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, man. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. What an incredible man. Grew up without a father, but has become an inspirational father who's done some amazing things and continues to do some amazing things. I look forward to seeing what we have next from Patrick Hutchinson. So there you go, another episode done. But what did you think of it? We would love to know. Leave us a review or a comment on Apple Podcasts or on social media about this episode or the series as a whole. And don't forget, if you want to be first to hear brand new episodes, make sure you subscribe by your preferred podcast platform. 
To find out more about Dadvengers, make sure you head to our website, dadvengers.com, where there is information about our live chats, our dad walks, our blog posts, and more. We'll see you soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.